Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and today we are reading Coveted Kiss. It's the third book in the Savage Security series. It picks up right where Avenging Kiss left off and ties together a few dangling threads. The twists and turns in this romantic thriller hold the reader's focus through multiple points of view, giving the reader a peek into each character's perspective. This book has everything action, mystery, revenge, and romance. So, get comfy. Turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 3 Cole Savage stood in the lobby of Savage Security and stared at the blood-stained carpet beside Bella's desk. Blood droplets splattered the carpet in the hallway, and another puddle drenched the spot by the conference room table. He always knew the possibility of retaliation from jihadists was real, but he never expected Bella to be caught up in it. He'd done everything he could to keep his friends and family safe, but it hadn't been enough. The only good thing that came out of this attack was Eric's capture. Eric James, or Hazim Ali as he called himself, was now with interrogators. Cole knew they'd get him to talk. Cole shook his head as he paced around the room. If Eric's plan had succeeded, if Eric's plan had succeeded, this section of the building would have been destroyed in the bombing and toppled the floors above it. The civilians who worked in the building would have been sucked into the vortex of vengeance as collateral damage. He didn't think he could live with that. He had some serious decisions to make regarding savage security. It appeared he'd have to go hunting for a new headquarters. The cell phone vibrated on his hip. He checked the screen and saw Jack's name. He tapped the screen and said, Yeah? Jack leaned back in Bella's sofa and let his legs fall open in a relaxed position. Hey, we're at her place. She good? Cole asked. He hated what had happened to Bella, but he was impressed by her will to live. He'd seen the video footage of the attack before Logan erased it. She was a fighter. Jack tilted his head and glanced down the hallway that led to her bedroom. She's sleeping. The drugs have knocked her out. I'm not sure how much of anything she'll remember when she wakes up. Cole wasn't sure if that was a blessing or a curse. If the police showed up, she'd need to stick with the story they'd gone over. They didn't need the police snooping around and learning about the bombs or Eric's capture. Cole stared at the bloodstain on the carpet. Earlier, they'd admitted to the police that Jack shot Eric in the shoulders, which was true. But they'd said that Eric fled and escaped when Jack tended to Bella, which was not true. I'll come see her later, Cole said. He wanted to see with his own eyes that she was okay. Is there anything you need? No, Jack replied. I've got a bag in the truck. Any news on Eric? They're interrogating him, Cole replied. We'll see how long it takes. Hopefully they won't cut us out of the loop. Cole wanted in on the case. With their lives in the crosshairs, they deserved a chance to take part in any operation that would shut down the sleeper cell that hunted them. He hoped that Captain Wallace would agree. Jack nodded. He'd love to get his hands on Eric James. The bastard deserved to die for what he'd done to Bella, manipulating and using her to get at them. She was an innocent and didn't deserve Eric's vengeance. And who knew how many others he'd killed in his support of terrorism over the years. He was glad he'd put two bullets into the asshole. How's Logan? Cole took in a deep breath. Logan had also suffered at the hands of Eric's accomplice, Aditya Chopra. She'd manipulated Logan through a sexual relationship in order to destroy the men of savage security. 
Logan was unharmed, but his heart was broken. He's handling it, Cole stated, thankful that he hadn't lost another friend. Jack knew what that meant. Logan was forging his way through the shitstorm that rained down on him. He'd be fine, but it would take a while. So what's the plan? Jack asked. Mike's on his way to Trellis for a quick meeting, and then he'll head over to Logan's to help clean up. Ryan and Tyson are on their way here. We'll rip up the carpet and dispose of it. Cole ran his hand through his shaggy brown hair. He knew it was a mess, probably sticking up and disheveled from all the times he'd raked his hand through the strands. He hadn't slept at all since this happened. Adrenaline pumped through him and kept him going. Maybe he'd get to crash tonight by ten. Let me know if you need anything, Jack said. He glanced at the Christmas tree in the corner of the room. A few presents lay around it. He wondered what Bella's plans for Christmas were. Did she need to get somewhere? Will do, Cole paused. Oh, and Jack? Merry Christmas. Jack snorted. This was par for the course. Christmas sucked. Had ever since his parents' betrayal at Christmas all those years ago. They'd ripped the family apart and destroyed the happiest time of year for him. Thanks. You too, Jack replied and disconnected the call. He stretched out and rested his head on the back of the sofa. He'd learned a long time ago to nap when he could. Chapter 4 Logan Murphy stood in the doorway of his home office. Blood and brain matter stained the carpet and splattered the wall. Even though he spent most of his time in the military behind a computer, he'd seen his share of blood. But this? This was different. This was a personal attack that had nothing to do with war. At least not in his mind. He'd given his heart to Aditya. He had trusted her and wanted to protect her, but she had other plans. She'd hunted them down and then focused on Logan. She was a vigilante murderess. What happened that turned her into a monster? He hadn't seen it coming. He sighed, hating that a part of him was thankful to her. Instead of putting a bullet in his head, she put one in her own. He hadn't had to make the decision to kill her, and he hadn't had to die. He was alive. Staring at the blood, Logan knew he would have to rip up the carpet. There was no cleaning that mess. He'd have to wipe down the walls and repaint. Not something he wanted to do on his short Christmas break. The shooting was already on the news, so he needed to call his parents and let them know what happened and reassure him that he was safe. He'd also have to give them the disappointing news that he wouldn't be spending Christmas with them. There was too much going on here and he wouldn't abandon his friends during this crisis. The police had been thorough in their questions. He hated talking about the intimate side of his relationship with Aditya. What was supposed to be between them was now everyone else's business. And at this point, he didn't know what had been between them. He'd been a fool to imagine that she cared about him when all she was doing was setting him up to die. He snorted a grunt and shook his head, as he tried to pull himself out of the vortex of disbelief and self-flagellation that threatened to tear him to shreds. At least the police had ruled out murder. It was obvious that she had killed herself. He was relieved that he didn't have to worry about a murder trial. Thank God for lucky breaks. Mojo, Logan's husky, brushed against Logan's leg and licked his hand. Logan scratched the top of Mojo's head. The familiar feel of Mojo's coarse dog hair grounded him. You're a good boy, Logan said, 
His voice sounded flat in his own ears, and he knew that Mojo could read his emotions. He was depressed. Sadness compressed his heart and left him feeling overwhelmed. Logan took a deep breath and decided to get something to drink from the kitchen. He was tired of looking at the bloody mess, the evidence of his failure. He should have realized who she was a lot sooner. Maybe he could have given her to Captain Wallace as an informant or turned her into a spy. Perhaps he could have saved her life. He needed to stop thinking about what could have been and how he could have changed things if he'd caught on sooner. She was dead, and he was alive. No amount of wishing things to be different changed the facts. He pulled open the refrigerator door and grabbed a water bottle. Unscrewing the cap, he downed half the bottle in a big chug. Leaning against the counter, he tapped on his cell screen and called his parents. Might as well get this over with. Chapter 5, 9 a.m. Cole had never been so happy that the carpet in the office was pieced together in square sections. The cleanup job wouldn't be so bad. At least he didn't have to rip up all the carpet in the lobby, hallway, and conference room. But he did need to go to the local home supply store to get extra squares. While he was doing that, his guys would be able to remove the bloody sections and lay the extra squares they had in storage while he was out. Tapping on his cell, Cole found the supply store that had the same carpet pattern in stock. He looked up as the office door opened. Hey, he said with a head nod as Ryan, Marks, and Tyson Smith entered the office. Ryan returned the head nod and paced towards Cole to check out the damage. Shit, Ryan exclaimed when he came to a stop beside the desk and saw the bloodstains on the carpet. He'd known it would be bad, but he hadn't expected this. He hadn't seen the recording of Bella's attack before Logan destroyed it. Tyson followed Ryan across the room. Stalking around the corner of Bella's desk, he noticed the splatter on the side of her desk. Did you see this? Tyson pointed to the dark brown splatter. Cole nodded. It may look bad, but it's not as bad as it could have been. I'm surprised Jack didn't blow Eric's head off. He'd always been impressed by Jack's professionalism, but the way he managed to control his fury when Bella's life was on the line was staggering. Ryan scoffed. He settled his hands on his hips as he took in the scene. As tempting as that must have been, Jack knew what he had to do. He wasn't sure he wouldn't have blown off Eric's head, but handing Eric over to the proper authorities would give them vital information and possibly save lives. It had been the smart thing to do. Tyson walked down the short hallway towards the conference room, careful not to step in the blood. At least the blood splatter is limited to the hallway. There was basically a thin, splotchy trail that would require minimal repair. When he got to the conference room, Tyson leaned against the door jamb. With a sigh, he wiped his hand over his bald head. This shouldn't take too long. The blood pooled beside the conference table leg, leaving most of the room free of splatter. Is this where Jack held him? He stepped into the room and knelt by the stained area. Cole leaned in the doorway. Yeah, he nodded. He took in a deep breath as he replayed the evening's events in his mind. He'd made the necessary call to Captain Wallace at the Department of Defense to hand Eric over to the right people. They'd also dealt with the bombs that Eric had brought into the building. Ryan stepped around Cole and entered the conference room, careful to avoid the blood. He squatted and eyed the carpet. What's with this blood splatter? An arc of blood spray stained the carpet. It didn't make sense. 
Drops of blood had soaked into the carpet in a different area than the one where Eric had been restrained. Cole smiled. Bella got him, pinned to the throat. He mimicked the action with his hand. He hadn't known she had it in her, but she'd fought for her life and was willing to do what she had to do to save herself. He was proud of her. And he was thankful that he hadn't had to say goodbye to another friend. Tyson stood and set his hands on his hips. No shit, he said, and let out a low chuckle. Way to go, Bella. Did she hit a vein? Ryan asked, standing. No, at least not the jugular, Cole replied. He'll be hurting for a while, though. Plus those two shots through the shoulders will be a bitch. Still say the bastard's lucky, Ryan said. Tyson snorted. He may not think so. He's probably shitting his pants right now. It would serve the bastard right. Cole tapped out his carpet order on the cell phone. I'm going to go pick up the carpet squares. He quickly waved his cell in the air. You two begin the cleanup here. There are extra carpet squares in the storage closet against the wall near the file cabinets. Will do, Tyson said with a nod. I'll begin in the lobby. He followed Cole out of the conference room and into the lobby. Hey, Tyson began. Is there anything else we need to know? No, Cole replied, stopping to look at Tyson. The black man looked as tough as shit but had a heart of gold. If something pops up, I'll let you know. With that, he left Tyson and Ryan in the office and headed over to the home supply store. Chapter 6 8.30 a.m. Adil Shaw had spent the previous night tossing and turning on the cot in the basement of Sultan's Feast restaurant. He'd sought refuge in the basement as he waited for Hazim's phone call and any other orders that he might receive. His brother, Suleiman Shaw, turned a blind eye to Adil's hobbies and allowed him to use the basement for storage and meetings as long as Suleiman didn't have to get involved. Adil hated that Suleiman was a coward and stayed out of the never-ending war that ravaged their homeland. Even though Suleiman hated the wars that destroyed the home of his ancestors, he wasn't willing to join the fight. Suleiman enjoyed his life in America. He'd embraced the American dream and now owned his own restaurant, Sultan's Feast but Adil hadn't been able to so easily forget his roots. Adil lost cousins and nephews in the wars that plagued his homeland. And now, in retribution, he was bringing the fight to the Americans on their soil. Adil swung his legs over the side of the cot and looked at his watch. It was after 8.30 a.m. Hazim should have contacted him hours ago to let him know that the bombs had been successfully planted at Savage Security. Hazim would then wait for the men of Savage Security to show up at work and then detonate the bombs. But Hazim hadn't called to confirm his success. Adil's stomach twisted on the fear that Hazim had failed. If he'd been captured, would he talk? Would Adil and his family be safe? Or perhaps Hazim set the bombs and then enjoyed the evening with the pretty woman. He smiled as he imagined how nice it would be to settle himself between her legs. Then, with a twinge of guilt, Adil thought of his wife, Amani. She hated the wars, too. She wanted peace for her people. But she still didn't agree with Adil's plan. Not that he told her much. Amani believed that war after war would never bring peace. She was too kind. She believed in forgiveness and love. Those qualities matched her feminine constitution. 
but Adil couldn't indulge in those womanly ideals and fantasy. Rage and vengeance took up too much of his heart. Standing, Adil rubbed his hand over his splotchy salt-and-pepper beard and trudged up the stairs to the restaurant. From the way things looked, he needed to don the mantle of courage and do his part. He'd have to go to Savage Security and detonate the bombs, which Hazim had hopefully planted. It wasn't a foolproof plan, but it was the best he could do. They'd already agreed that if something happened to Hazim, that it would be his responsibility to carry out the destruction of the men who'd unleashed death on his homeland. Sounds of a knife rhythmically clicking against a cutting board and Arabic music filtered through the hallway. Adil pushed open the swinging door and stepped into the restaurant's kitchen. Morning, Solomon bit out as he chopped vegetables at the island. The kitchen was his place of solitude. He did most of the prep for the lunch and dinner rushes himself in the quiet morning hours, and he didn't appreciate his brother messing with the positive vibe he wanted flowing through his restaurant. He didn't know the particulars of Adil's business with Hazim and the beautiful woman, but he knew that Adil was up to no good. Suleiman had instantly disliked Hazim when he'd met him. It always annoyed Suleiman when white people took on Middle Eastern names. What were they trying to prove by shucking their parent-given name? Why were they masquerading as someone they were not? A name didn't make one a good Muslim. In his opinion, it showed a disrespect for his own heritage. Besides, he didn't trust chameleons. Glancing at his brother as he continued to chop, he hoped he wouldn't be dragged into whatever mess threatened to pull a deal under. He had no plans of moving to the Caribbean at Uncle Sam's expense. With cautious eyes, Solomon asked, Did you sleep well? He knew Anil didn't sleep on the cot in the basement because of a fight with Amani, but he allowed Adil the lie. The pleasant scent of pita bread filled the room and lured Adil to the counter. He came to a stop across the island from his brother. Picking up a piece of pita bread, he ripped off a section. Stuffing it in his mouth, he mumbled, Yes? Swallowing, he finished. Thanks for letting me stay here. He tore off another piece of soft bread and stuffed it into his mouth but it turned to rocks in his stomach. Nerves ruined his appetite and festered in him, churning his gut. Solomon's hands moved quickly as he chopped the peppers into tiny bits. He glanced quickly at his brother before scooping the peppers into his hands and tossing them into a bowl. Will you call Amani this morning? he asked, lifting a brow. Amani? Why should I do that? Adil replied with a shrug. He had more important things on his mind. Sometimes his brother was a nuisance. Disappointment weighed heavily on Suleiman. Was it not your fight that caused you to sleep on a cot in my restaurant? He didn't want to know the truth. He allowed the guns and ammunition to be held in the basement because he feared for his family. Sometimes, standing up to the wrong people had unfortunate consequences. Maybe that made him a coward. He wasn't sure but he knew for sure that he didn't want to anger the wrong people. He hated Adil for bringing him into this mess. He just wanted to be left alone to live in peace. Adil's nerves were throwing him off balance. I will do better than a call. I will go see her. Adil pointed at his brother with an air of confidence and then ripped off another chunk of soft bread. After I detonate the bombs, would the whole building crumble? Probably not but he would see bloodshed. 
Perhaps the news reporters would compare this to the federal building bombing in Oklahoma during the 90s. Although Adil would never reveal his part in the bombing to his wife, he would hold the secret of his bravery to himself and those involved in their cause. They traversed a deadly path. There were many who were like his brother, enjoying the pleasures and wealth of civilization when they should be warriors in the battle. With a grunt, he said, I'll talk to you later, and walked out of the kitchen. Relief washed over Solomon when Adil left. Picking up his cell, he called his wife, Miriam, and told her to meet him at the restaurant. She usually worked side by side with him, but when Adil asked to sleep in the basement the previous night, he didn't want her at Solomon's feast in the morning. He didn't like some of the men who came to his restaurant calling themselves Adil's friends. Even though Adil and his friends always met in the basement, they still scared Solomon and he did not want Miriam in their sights. Adil pulled his coat tighter around his neck as he exited the restaurant and made his way to his car. It was an old, beat-up Nissan, but it was paid for, which made it priceless. Turning up the heat, he drove to the other side of Carisburg and circled the big office building that housed Savage Security. Pulling into a parking space, he turned off the engine and rested his hands on the steering wheel. The early morning sun reflected off the glass walls like brilliant crystals. Adil was both impressed and blinded by the beauty before him. Glancing at his watch, he noticed it was nine o'clock. People slowly wandered across the parking lot and into the building as the workday began. Some people carried briefcases or wore backpacks, while others talked on their cell phones. He snorted with disgust. Americans were clueless. They lived in relative safety and didn't bother observing their surroundings for danger. They'd lock eyes on the tiny screen in their hand and never know the killer next to them. Adil didn't know how that kind of peace felt. He'd lived in the bombed-out sections of cities filled with armed men patrolling the area. He had no concept of safety. The notion made him twitchy. Scanning the parking lot, he instantly recognized two of the men that walked towards the building. The big black man was Tyson Smith. The pale redhead was Ryan Marks. He'd followed them for a short time to compile a dossier on them, which he then handed over to Hazim. His connections had confirmed that they'd been involved in covert operations during their time in the military. Their very presence was daunting. But this morning, they weren't dressed in their usual work attire. They wore faded jeans and what looked like casual t-shirts under their open leather jackets. Adil knew that was a bad sign. Although the men were typically casually dressed, they always wore Henleys or a collared shirt with dockers. He gave them a few minutes to get into the office. Then he picked up his cell. He wasn't sure how many of the savage security personnel were in the building, but he knew at least two would die when that side of the building collapsed. His fingers twitched as he tapped out the number on the cell phone and hit call. He stared at the building, not sure how long it would take for the first bomb to blow and trigger the other bombs. His heart pounded against his ribs, as if it would burst from his chest. A sticky film of sweat covered his palms. He forgot to breathe as he waited for the deafening explosion and subsequent rain of twisted metal, glass, and ash to burst through the building. Nothing happened. He gasped in a breath of air and slid a piece of paper out of his pocket. He'd memorized the number, but he wanted to confirm that they'd tapped out the correct numbers. 
The bombs had to be there. There was no way that Hazim had failed. He tapped out the numbers again and prayed for an explosion. Nothing happened. Fuck, he cursed and slammed his hand against the steering wheel. Had the bombs been discovered? Where was Hazim? Did the bastards have him? He tossed the cell onto the passenger seat beside him. Staring at the building, he squeezed the steering wheel as if he could squeeze the life from the men by sheer will. His short nails bit into the flesh of his palms. He needed to kill them. Someone. Anyone. If he failed, he'd look like a fool to the others in his group. Adil wiped his hands across his sweaty brow. Although it was cold, his nerves messed with his body and set a fire deep within him. He thought about what he knew. First, Hazim had not contacted him. Second, the bombs did not go off. From there, he had to assume that Hazim and the bombs had been discovered. How that happened, he had no clue. Hazim's plan of using the woman at Savage Security had been brilliant. She didn't have the training or the skills to outthink or overpower Hazim. How had Hazim been captured? Thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope you enjoyed the reading for today. If you have not had a chance to listen to Avenging Kiss, you may want to do that. It can be found in episodes 38 through 53. To keep up with various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X. And X at Cherish Lively. Or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Goodbye.